0: NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or Lending Partner Banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people.
1: In order to support our show, we need the help of some great advertisers. And we want to make sure those advertisers are ones you'll actually want to hear about. But we need to learn a little bit more about you to make that possible. So would you please do me a favor? Can you go to podsurvey.com slash Jamie, that's J-A-M-I-E, podsurvey.com slash Jamie, and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better. That way, we can bring on advertisers you won't want to skip. Once you've completed the quick survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. You guys, you can buy a lot of great things on Amazon for $100. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's pod, P-O-D slash Jamie, J-A-M-I-E. Guys, thanks for your help. Go to podsurvey.com slash Jamie. Hey, friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivy podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me, and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. happy friday friends and welcome to the happy hour today in our christian faith we celebrate good friday and you might be asking good friday this is the day that jesus was killed and executed and crucified um and we do celebrate it as good friday because of what happens on sunday and we celebrate it as good friday because of what jesus endured and took on on the cross on that friday and so If you've been a Christian your whole life, if you've been a Christian for 25 minutes, or if you don't even believe this Jesus that we talk about, I want to tell you that this is a conversation that you're going to want to lean in close to. Today on the show, my friend Rebecca McLaughlin is back and you guys, I can't help it. I just want to talk to her about everything she writes because I love it so much. I just soak it all up. I take it all in. Today, we're talking about a book that she released earlier this year. It's called Is Easter Unbelievable? And I want to tell you by the time you hear this episode, Easter will be probably long and gone, but this is a book worth getting. It is very, very small. It fits in the palm of my hands. It's about 60 pages. I read it one morning. I highly recommend it. We talk about it today and we talk about. What did Jesus's death on the cross mean? And what does his resurrection mean for us believers? I want to read a piece from her introduction, and then we'll get to that conversation. Rebecca says this in the introduction. She says, I don't know how you feel about Jesus today. I don't know whether Christianity sounds to you like clothes you've long outgrown, like an outfit in which you wouldn't be seen dead, like clothing from a culture not your own, or like something you used to wear and wish you could again. I don't know whether you've been hurt by Christians or seen Christians hurting others. I don't know if you're living your best life now or trudging through a trench of hopelessness. None of us come to questions about faith without feelings, good or bad, or just indifferent. But if we're honest, we all long for hope beyond the grave, some kind of happy ending for ourselves and those we love. You guys, we dive into that conversation today. I'm grateful for Rebecca and the work that she's doing. Check out her book, Is Easter Unbelievable? Four Questions Everyone Should Ask About the Resurrection Story. We're diving into those questions now. Here is my conversation with Rebecca McLaughlin. Rebecca, welcome back to the happy hour. Thank you for having
0: me virtually long distance. Well, a long distance relationship continues.
1: It is a continuing relationship. And you were just on the show in December. And I, I am never tired of you. And I don't think the listeners are tired of you either. And so as long as you don't get tired of me, we'll continue to ask you back, Rebecca, all the time, because That's it's really an kind. honor to chat with you.
0: That's really kind
1: well i want to I want to start before we jump in today 's good friday, and so we 're going to talk about what that means for us as followers of Jesus and even what Sunday means for us even um, more as followers of Jesus. but I want to start out by just telling you this is yesterday we 're recording this on a Monday, and yesterday at church Rebecca. Was um, we started our very first class, and we're going through Secular Creed. Oh, and, yay! <laughs> and I'm a table leader, and so I got my little table leader discussions. And so we're going through, and it took everything in me not to be like, "You guys, I'm talking to Rebecca tomorrow." <laughs> so, <laughs> um, your work is is infiltrating my church, and I'm super honored and excited about oh, it.
0: That's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. It's-
1: so great. Okay, so today's Good Friday as the show is airing. And um good I was telling let me set the stage here. I was actually telling my table yesterday as we were going through your book. I was like, the thing that I appreciate so much about Rebecca is that I would consider you and you would consider you and everyone would consider you very academic. And yet I am not academic and I devour your books and I devour how you present your words to us. And so I think even as I think through Good Friday, um, there's conversations that I have grown up in the church my whole life. And I think I expressed mm. this to you when we did our Christmas episode. I've grown up in the church my whole life. And so fortunately and unfortunately, I have just a lot of faith in Good Friday and I have mm. a lot of faith in the resurrection. Like I, I, I don't think I've ever questioned, do we think Jesus really, Like, died? Mm. Like, do we think that? Like, I have just always had that faith. And so, when I interviewed you for the Christmas episode about Jesus' birth and his life, to me, it was this kind of wake up call of like, okay, Jamie, there are millions and millions and millions of people who question the things that you just take it like you believe it. You read Mm -hmm. it in the scriptures, Mm -hmm. you read the gospels, and you believe it. And I found myself thinking that again, as I read your book um, over the weekend called Is Easter Unbelievable? Four questions everyone should ask about the resurrection story. And so I want to start by saying I'm grateful for your work because it actually causes me, who has a lot of faith in these things, to realize I need to understand these. So this book, Rebecca, is wonderful. It answers um, four questions. Is Jesus' death ethical? What kind of God would punish sin? Who qualifies as a sinner? And how is the brutal killing of an innocent man just? So. I want to start with a question that I often ask authors. Why this book? What made you want to write this book?
0: A little bit like the, the Christmas book, actually. I think that there is so much familiarity in our culture with mm. the basics of the Christian message, or at least, um, I mean, sadly, I think there's probably less familiarity with the true basics of the Christian message than people realize. But people are, are used to the idea that Christians are claiming that this first century jewish man was the son of god that he died on a cross and that he rose from the grave like that's something that people have have heard and sort of become familiar with whether they believe it or not and like like you Mm -hmm. say there are some people who say do you know what that that sounds completely implausible to me like i I didn't believe a word of it Mm -hmm. i think there are also a lot of people who think yeah like that's a thing that's out there maybe it's true maybe it's not i I vividly remember talking with a, a young woman when i was an undergrad and we were having kind of a little Easter get together before a, an Easter service, and, and sort of inviting all sorts of friends who, who weren't part of the kind of Christian fellowship there. And I remember we are talking to this young woman, and her saying, Yeah, I think Jesus is probably the Son of God. And it was like she could, on the one hand, believe that at least mm. at some level. And on the other hand, it made zero difference to her. Like right. it was as if that that knowledge, that belief could just exist out there. Mm-hmm like a sort of theoretical belief that you and I might have that doesn't actually change our lives at all. Mm. Um, and it's going to be a little bit weird analogy and potentially a completely unhelpful one. So forgive me. <laughs> but um, as I look out at the sky, you know, I walk down the street and I see the sun and I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I know that the earth revolves around revolves around the sun. Like it's something that I know because scientists have told me that's the case. Not because I've actually looked into it myself. It's just like, mm-hmm. this is what I've heard from science. And it doesn't make any practical difference to my life. I'm like, oh, there's the sun. I mean, the sun makes a difference, but like the fact that the earth revolves around the sun, who right. knew? Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like if if the sun revolved around the earth, it wouldn't make any practical difference in my day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. And it seems like there are a lot of people who 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 are walking around thinking, either, yeah, you know, Jesus is probably the Son of God. Yeah, maybe he did die on a cross. Yeah, maybe he rose without realizing, no, 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 this is these are life and death questions, right? These are like stake your, your whole, like put all your cash on this question or not. Mm-hmm. Um, we can't be only moderately interested or mm. sort of, yeah, I'm sure, but is it really worth our time to look into? Mm. So, so part of the reason I wrote is Easter unbelievable is to help people say, okay, wait a minute, let's, let's look at these claims afresh mm-hmm. and let's get serious about a, did this happen? And B, if it did, what difference does it make to me now?
1: Mm. That's really good because I would guess that that would be, that would encapsulate so many people in the America because it mm. is such like a, it's, it's felt as like this quote unquote Christian nation. And it's really easy to kind of believe these things, but they don't actually change your life. Like you just said. Um, mm. and I really appreciate it. Okay. I want to dive into some of the things that you say in here, and I'm not going to go through each of the four things guys. I want to let you know, this is, um, a book, if you're out there and you're like, ah, I don't like really reading, I'm going to tell you, you can read this book in about like an hour and a half, two hours. Um, It is really, really um, compact and complex all at the same time. So I want to say this. Let's just dive into Good Friday. Here we go, Rebecca. You say that the love shown in Jesus' death is even more stunning than the love shown in his life. Can you kind of unpack that? Because you you start, you talk Mm. about all the things that Jesus did in his ministry years, which we can probably name them even if you don't even go to church all the time you could come up with some things culturally that you've heard about jesus christ but you claim that his death showed more love than even the things he did while he was alive can you unpack that for us Mm. yeah jesus showed extraordinary love during
0: his his life on earth and his ministry in ways that actually shapes how we even think about right and wrong today um Mm -hmm. and we don't always realize that because again we're sort of so so used to it and the way that it's shaped our culture that for example our belief, which we probably share regardless of how we would identify spiritually, our belief that like, all human beings are fundamentally equal and that the strong and the rich and the powerful shouldn't be trampling on the weak and the poor and the marginalized, that you know, men and women are equal, that little children are important and, and precious in their own right and not just like possessions that we can kind of discard or abuse at, at will. Like, oh, love across racial differences is a, is a good thing. Like, all of these things actually come from Jesus's life and teaching and the disruptive impact that it had on the world. So why would I say that Jesus's death shows even more love than his life? Well, Jesus's teaching is is profound and beautiful, and and it ultimately led to his death. But in the moment of his teaching, it didn't cost Jesus to to teach those those extraordinary truths about about human beings and, and about God. And um, Jesus went went around healing people, A- and it seems pretty clear in in the the gospel stories that Jesus can can heal people like. Actually, pretty easily. Um, you know, sometimes he touches people to, to make a particular point, but sometimes he heals people just from a distance. Like He says the word and somebody's healed. Um, sometimes he prays sort of out loud, but then he usually points out like, I wasn't praying for me, but for you guys. You know, like, I kind of want <laughs> you, you to I, say this, this is, is for you guys. Yeah. yeah, this is for you guys. This is, so so it, it's like Jesus can almost, I mean, effortlessly is maybe slightly too strong, but like almost effortlessly do things which you and I couldn't do in a million years. And yet, when he goes to the cross, Jesus is showing his love for us in a way that cost him profoundly. And we see this um, we see this actually especially illustrated um, and communicated to us in, in the narratives we have about the, the night that Jesus was arrested, when he sort of famously go, goes with his disciples to this garden called Gethsemane, and then, and then he, he prays to God and uh, to the Father. And we see Jesus sort of struggling in prayer. There, we see him agonized. We see him like pleading with the Father to, as he put it, let this this cup pass fr- from him. And and if if we look back into the Old Testament scriptures, as Jesus's um, first disciples would would have known, the the image, the measure of the cup of the Lord in the Old Testament it is typically communicating God's judgment. Actually, like against whole nations. Mm. Um, th- this cup that gets passed around—it's sort of devastating to receive the cup of the Lord, and it's not something that one human being takes. It's like poured out on a whole on a whole nation that's rebelling against God. And Jesus is here picturing the fact that when He dies on the cross that Friday, He is going to drink the cup of God's wrath down to the dregs for us. This one human being is going to take on himself the sin of the whole world. He's going to take the the punishment. He's he's going to take hell for you and for me if we would put our trust in him and that is a a horrifying prospect um but it's something that he takes he takes on willingly actually despite the cost Mm -hmm. um ultimately out of love for us And, and that is why i think jesus's death points to his love and illustrate and demonstrates his love for us even more than the beautiful things that he did and the beautiful
1: things that he taught during his life on earth. You guys in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Jesus willingly knowing and doing that because, you know, some people would say like, was this, did, you know, did Jesus know? Did Jesus know that he was going to end up here? Was he just living 30 years and then started a ministry and all of a sudden he's like, oh, wait, is this how this is ending? And to know that Jesus knew that this was the path for him to take the whole time is like mind blowing.
0: Yeah, yeah. And he teaches he teaches his disciples and he has to tell them multiple times they don't mm-hmm. get it. They mm-hmm. absolutely don't get it because it's the last thing they thought would be the plan for God's Messiah, God's like chosen king, promised for centuries that was going to come and save God's people. The l- absolute last thing that should have happened in their minds was for mm-hmm. the Messiah the Christ to be crucified, like to suffer the yeah, the death most associated with with slaves and rebels um to have like mm. instead of kicking the Romans out, which was probably what they were hoping god's messiah would do f- mm-hmm. for the plan to be that instead jesus should be crucified by the romans was like completely mm-hmm. the opposite of, of what they would have envisaged and yet jesus there is defeating a much greater enemy than the romans <laughs> he's defe- yeah. defeating sin and death and hell De- for us yeah. um mm-hmm, so forever. yeah he's he's he's
1: conquering you know speaking of the cross it, you talk a little bit in here about how we've kind of sanitized the cross over these mm. 2000 years i mean you see people wearing crosses around their neck. It's like just in churches, it's just we have, we have made it different than what it was. But you talk mm. a little bit about the reality of the cross. Can you speak to that a little bit about the reality of what that would have meant in, in, that, in that day and age when Jesus was crucified by the Romans?
0: Yeah, I mean, in, in some ways, the crucifixion was um, very familiar, to the first century readers of the Gospels and the people who were witnessing what was happening to Jesus because it was the way that the Romans um, dealt with rebels and made an example of, especially of slaves who were sort of trying to to rise up. And, And the cross was very specifically designed to be both like maximally painful and enduring. Like it wasn't a quick death. It was a slow and agonizing death. And it was designed to be maximally humiliating like, th- this wasn't a sort of quiet, like, you know, execution. Um, in you know, n- not that any execution is, is pleasant, but this was, you mm-hmm. know, not like a lethal injection done right. like away in a prison somewhere. This was like a very public statement of this is what will happen to you if you try and stand up against the Romans. Mm. And so, so I think it's hard for us to really recognize, like, both the not only the pain, but also the shame mm. of the crucifixion. Um, uh, but but it actually completely fits in with the the ethic that Jesus was teaching and modeling. Um, I love how he explains it to his disciples as, as to why it is that leadership in his kingdom is completely the reverse of leadership outside his kingdom. You know, he says, mm. um, even the Son of Man, referring to himself and 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 connecting up with an Old Testament a sort of image of of this extraordinary figure who would um, receive a kingdom from from God Himself that would be like enduring and universal. So even the Son of Man. Didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mm. That Jesus is, is in many ways um, stepping into the lowest place and and paying the price for us, mm. um, taking um, not only like I mean, it's it's extraordinary how many things that God is doing actually <laughs> at the cross that, that that Jesus is is taking the sin of the world, the sin of anyone who would put their trust in him as being fully paid for and, and, and dealt with um on the cross. And at the same time Jesus is is taking on himself our suffering mm. um and and our experience of of brokenness and physical pain and, and and alienation. And he's defeating death for us, which is the thing which I, I feel like the you know the, the older you get, the less you can pretend you're never gonna die. Right. Um you know many of us in our in our sort of very kind of protected and kind of health uh, conscious um, 21st century Western culture can go a decent proportion of our lives often really without confronting the fact that we're going to die you know maybe we've had grandparents die or maybe we've had parents die or maybe you know people we've um, loved who are closer to our age but but the, the further we're going on, on in life the the less we can fail to confront the fact yeah you and I are going to die mm-hmm. and and, and Jesus on the on the cross is giving us hope in the face of death, as well as all the other things that he's doing. Mm-hmm. There's, there's so much kind of bound up in that. Um, he is the one person who can take our hand and walk us through death
1: into resurrection life. Mm. A lot happened in that one day, Rebecca. That was a lot going on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jesus, that was a busy day. Um, you know, historically a lot of people can wrap their brain around jesus's crucifixion for a lot of the reasons that you just said like it was common if you look at history this is the way that the romans dealt with um you know criminals and so they can go like okay we can we can agree like okay Mm. jesus um a a rabbi born of nat we can say that this man was crucified yeah but then we get to the resurrection Mm-hmm. And then we get a whole nother thing because now what we're asking or what God is saying is like, here's what we could believe. We need to believe that Jesus not only was killed. Okay. Historically, we can wrap our brain around that, but he rose from the grave. This yep. is where people's minds just get blown, you know? Mm-hmm. And so in your book, you, you walk through four pieces of evidence um, with why people can actually wrap their brain around that. I'll, I'll say them to you. And then I would love for you just to touch on whichever one you want. You cool. you say the outbreak, um, the message the Romans, and the women. And so four um, pieces of evidence that you say that Jesus did um, truly, like he claims, rise from the dead. So can you mm-hmm. dive into any, any, any of those that you'd like to go with? Yeah, I think I'll start with the outbreak. So what, I, what do
0: I mean by that? Um, <clears throat> when, when Jesus died on the cross almost 2,000 years ago, he was the, the seemingly failed leader of a tiny Jewish sect in a um, backwater of the of a backwater of the Roman Empire there 's very little like if we were to go back two thousand years there 's very little reason to think that anybody would be talking about this two thousand years later. You know this guy never wrote a book, he never ruled an empire, he never raised an army, he never sat on a threat like he didn 't do any of the things that usually get you recorded in history mm-hmm. and yet here we are two thousand years later, still talking about him, and it 's not just you and me because we 're weirdos it 's actually. This, this is a, a a movement that is all across the world and that represents mm-hmm. the largest global belief system today and the most diverse in any way you want to cut it. So what on earth happened to change You know, this small, I mean, probably there were like a a few dozen followers of Jesus after he died, like a few dozen sort of disciples, not just the, the 12 uh, chosen mm-hmm. apostles, but actually a number of women who travel with Jesus and a number of sort of other disciples. So there was kind of, you know, little, little group. Yeah. Small group of heartbroken, confused, in many ways, cowardly, actually. I mean, they'd they'd run away from Jesus when the going got tough the night that Mm -hmm. he was was arrested. Um, Jewish followers of Jesus. Like, how did those people Mm. turn into a preaching team that, literally changed the world in ways that we cannot uh, avoid noticing two thousand years later said so if something must have happened um you know some people say well you know maybe jesus was a charismatic leader and then the stories about him got more and more exaggerated as time went by and eventually like before we know it like early recruits to christianity were saying well actually he was raised from the dead problem with that number of problems with that but one of them is actually no the resurrection is intrinsic to the christian message from the foot first there are no early recruits to christianity if there is no resurrection right like it's like romeo and juliet without juliet mm-hmm. you know you can't it's just not, a, it's, yeah, not a it's not a story other, other than like yeah. this leader died mm-hmm. so 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 what are we going to make of this and and then we find um that you know the women is is one of the examples that i gave there is like oddly strangely counterculturally and counterintuitively the first witnesses of the resurrection, according to all the Gospels, are these, these women. And to us, that doesn't strike us as particularly strange. Um, but in that culture and in, in that day, the testimony of women was just not seen as, as mm-hmm. legitimate as the testimony of men. Yeah. So why on earth would the Gospel authors... Record that it was women who had first witnessed Jesus's resurrection. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of other sort of more plausible men who were knocking around who, right. who Jesus could have appeared to first, but it seems like he didn't. He chose to reveal himself to these to these women. Even the first apostles, according to Luke, like didn't didn't believe <laughs> when they, when the women came back and told them mm-hmm. what they'd seen. So that's like embarrassing, right? <laughs> really embarrassing. <laughs>
1: um,
0: so there are all sorts of reasons why the resurrection claim, sort of wild as it sounds, has has had this extraordinary impact that we need to figure out like what did happen like if the resurrection didn't happen what on earth did Mm. and then uh, i think it's important to recognize like there are probably a lot of a lot of people who would think you know i can believe that there is a god like maybe there's a god who made Uh the world but the idea of somebody being raised from the dead like that just seems like a supernatural bridge too far you know that's like that's Uh pushing pushing the envelope a bit but actually if you think about it if there is a god who made the universe and everyone in it it's not at all irrational to think that he could do a miracle like raising somebody from the dead. Right. Like it's mm-hmm. actually kind of irrational to think that, that couldn't, couldn't be possible. Couldn't. Right. So, so you know, if there's no God, of course somebody couldn't be raised from the dead. But if we're if we're open to possibility, yeah, maybe there is a God. Then we should also be open to the possibility that God sent His only Son, um, not only to die for us, but also to be raised, so that we could live with Him forever. And that's mm-hmm. the the piece, I think, can get lost even um by well meaning Christians, as we try to articulate our faith, we sort of explain why well, Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sin and for mine so we could be back in relationship with God. Oh, and then Jesus rose from the dead. We're not quite sure why like maybe it it certainly proved that what he'd said was true, but how it's relevant to us today we're not always quite sure naturally the the invitation of the Christian message is to be united with this with this jesus who who died for us and and he, who rose to not only to pave the way for us to have resurrection life, but actually to mm-hmm. to live with us, um, to to be, as he explained to one of his first female disciples, Martha, in, in John's gospel, he is, he is the resurrection and the life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and none of us truly can have life apart from
1: him, either before our death or afterwards. Mm. You know, speaking of the resurrection, you tell a story in here. Um, you started, t- you were talking about heaven at the end of this mm. book, and you talk about your friend, Grace. Mm. And... Um, At at the point in the book, I I don't even know. I should have asked before I brought this up. At the point in the book, she was battling cancer, and she had already previously lost her spouse a decade Mm -hmm. before. And um, I got a little teary eyed when I was reading it because what you hear a lot of people say, and I just want to confess, like this really convicted me. Like when I read this, is Mm. you hear a lot of people say, like, "Well, I can't wait in death to be reunited with my loved ones," Mm -hmm. and I can't. And, and we would have expected your friend Grace to say, I can't wait to be reunited with my husband, who she'd been apart from for a decade. And that feels very real and human, you know, mm. like this, this desire to be back with the people that we've loved so much. And in, and in the book, you tell that your friend Grace actually said, we're often setting our sights too low. And for her, it was being united with mm. her savior. Mm-hmm. So can you expand on that a little bit? yeah I drive my tears yeah, up over yeah, here no, because- no.
0: grace grace died a few months ago and went to be with jesus mm-hmm. and um i I got to know her after she was diagnosed with terminal cancer um I had no idea what a gift it would be for me to get to know her in that period. I had reached out because this has been announced to the membership at our church, and I thought you know she's a somewhat older lady in our church we our church tend trends very young, so you mm-hmm. know she was probably in her i think she was in her early sixties thereabouts um you know we fought like after 40 there the the demographics of my church (laughs) sort of slimmed down so i was like oh you know this sister in christ who uh, i know is single and um you know facing death and i i I wanted to to reach out to just sort of offer love i had no idea as i say kind of how i would benefit from from our friendship yeah one of the things she she'd shared with me was conversation she had sort of similar conversations actually both with her daughter and with her her brother-in-law he was saying you know um, you know, her daughter was saying, "I think if heaven is a place where we will get to see Papa again, you know, having des- dearly loved her father and, and knowing how much her mum had loved her father, um, and who who died um, ten years previously." And Grace's response was, "I think we're setting our sights too low," and, and that just so beautifully expresses the the biblical truth that even in the best human relationship, even in the most um, intimate and um, fulfilling human marriage, what we're getting. Is a tiny little echo shadow foretaste of jesus 's love for us you know, marriage is actually at its best designed to show us jesus 's sacrificial love, and so we 're actually foolish if if what we 're looking forward to um, after death primarily is being reunited with those we 've you know truly loved uh, uh, in, in terms of our, our human experience um we're foolish if that's the thing that we're most looking forward to, because even at their best, those relationships are pointing Mm -hmm. us to something, something even better. Um, And Grace knew that. And it was a joy to me to sort of walk with her through her final months and just get to kind of observe what it looks like for a a, a Christian who believes in the resurrection Mm. to die with, with confidence and faith. Um, The very last text she sent me, uh, she, she was a, a, Writer as well, and had written a number of articles for a local news station. um And they decided they wanted to sort of chronicle her her cancer and and sort of stay with her basically to the end of doing various kind of video and kind of audio projects with her. And she, her last text me says, you know, they, they've decided to follow me kind of to the end, and I, I'm praying for opportunities to share my faith. Mm. I was thinking, you know, I, I, that's that is how I want to
1: die, all the way to the end. Yeah. Well I read that and was was really convicted and 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 remember praying and just asking God you know to like redirect my heart because it's not like I didn't it's not like I wasn't aware of like our, our greatest joy and it's not like I'm unaware mm. of that marriage is is a slim reflection of what it like I have all this knowledge mm. but then sometimes my emotions can get in the way and and I would feel myself like grace's daughter saying oh this would be what I would be most excited about. And just really asking God, man, I, it is, it, like you said, it is a slim reflection of the love Mm. that, that Jesus has for us. And so I I appreciated that story in there so much. And I'm sorry about your loss as well, but I'm super happy that grace has been united with our savior, just Mm. like she was looking forward to. You guys, this book is, is really, really, like I said, compact and, um, very, 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 um, Informative as well. It's called Is Easter Unbelievable? Four questions everyone should ask about the resurrection story. You can get it anywhere you buy books. Um, I really appreciate it. Uh, Rebecca, while I have you, I know that you also just released a Bible study called Navigating Gospel Truth, a guide to faithful reading the account of Jesus's life. And I was thinking about this Bible study because as we've been even speaking today, uh, we have said numerous times you have said about how this would have been so. this was so out of the the disciples' concept of what Jesus Mm. was to do. And Mm. so I was thinking as we were speaking earlier, I was like, man, I I have grown up in the church my whole life, and I wonder what it would feel like, Rebecca, to not know the end of the story as I was reading the Gospels. Mm. (laughs) You Mm. know, like like I'm starting in, in Matthew 1, and although Jesus predicts his death throughout, but what if I was like the disciples? And it's just like, what this happened? I didn't even know it. And so, I would love to hear. Um, just tell us a little bit about this Bible study, navigating gospel truth: uh, a guide to faithful reading the accounts of Jesus' life.
0: Yeah, I had a, a lot of fun writing that study. Um, it, it, in some ways, because it, my background is in English literature, um, uh, I did a, a PhD on like metaphors in Shakespeare. Which you know, people don't ask me to talk about that a whole lot these days. Funnily <laughs> enough, uh, anytime you want to have a podcast episode. <laughs> no. um, but but one of the things that that's a- always struck me is how um, you know will sometimes be asked if if you're a Christian or, or you might ask if if you're not a Christian in particular um, you know do you do you take the Bible literally mm-hmm. or you do you take the Gospel accounts of Jesus' life literally and usually when people are asking that question what they're really meaning is like do you believe the crazy things that the gospels are telling us about Jesus? Like do you mm-hmm. do you really believe that Jesus, you know, rose from the dead for instance? Yeah. But but we frame it as do you take this literally? And and I think it's it's super important that we kind of pause and unpack that a bit. Because actually a lot of the time in the gospels, Jesus himself is very intentionally speaking in non-literal forms of of communication. Um, so you know one example is Jesus saying, you know, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, if we read that literally, then Jesus is saying that <clears throat> he is he is literally somebody who kind of walks around with furry mammals that have mm-hmm. four legs and go meh, you know, mm-hmm. like, and that he is planning to die for those furry mammals. Mm-hmm. Now, when we kind of put it in those terms, we realise it's it's absurd to think that Jesus is speaking literally. Instead, right. what he's doing is he is he's gathering up this massive old testament metaphor um of of god as a shepherd you know famously in psalm 23 the lord is my shepherd i shall not be in want um, and and this idea of of god's king as a shepherd like he's sort of um you know grabbing all of those metaphor metaphors and old testament metaphors about um, us being like sheep who've gone astray and and turned everyone to his own way as isaiah puts it and how the lord has laid on on their suffering servant, all of our sin. So he's sort of gathering up all these Old Testament metaphors into this picture and saying, "I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep." Mm-hmm. But we need to kind of understand, like, how do, how do metaphors work for us to really faithfully understand what Jesus is saying there? Because if we read it literally, we're going to misunderstand him, and that's true time and time and time again in the Gospels. Now, some people say, "Well, okay, if you're going to say some things in the Gospels are metaphors." Then why can't we just use that whenever something's inconvenient? Mm-hmm. So like the resurrection, can we just n- not say that it's a like metaphorical resurrection? Well, actually no, because the gospels are really very clear that they are talking about a, a physical, bodily resurrection. You know, have mm-hmm. Jesus come and like he's eating things and touching people mm-hmm. and whatever, like after his after his resurrection. And yet so so we need to kind of hold these two pieces together and we need to recognise that often Jesus is telling stories, um, parables, as we sometimes call them in the gospels and we need to think okay how do we faithfully read a story which is not necessarily telling us um about historical realities so for example the famous parable of the good samaritan Mm -hmm. uh, when jesus reports this you know crime happening between um jerusalem and um you know jericho and you're, you're thinking well the point of this story is actually not Jesus reporting on a crime scene and, you know, somebody dial 911 and get the police in right. because, you know, this guy's been beaten up. Uh-huh. Um, he's actually communicating profound r- truths about us and about God mm-hmm. through this story. And so, so I, I wrote this Bible study to, to help us kind of navigate these different kinds of, of communication, whether it's mm-hmm. metaphors or stories or this funny thing called hyperbole, which is like extreme exaggeration to make a very serious point. Like how, mm-hmm. do, we, how do we navigate these things?
1: So good, you guys, you can get this uh it's out now already wherever you get stuff navigating gospel truths. you know, Rebecca, I want to say one of the things that has been really profound for me in the last probably i don't know ten years of my life is um knowing why I believe what i believe and mm. and I mentioned to you probably every time I interview you of just like taking these concepts that I have had so much faith in for all my life and really mm. figuring out why do I believe these things, why do I believe these things? And I remember about probably 15 years ago now, I was having a conversation with one of my kids and they, I mean, he's 19 now. And so, you know, he would have been a a little bitty little bitty kid. And he asked me a question that was really profound about faith and I didn't know the answer. Mm. And I said to him, I said, well, you know what? How about when your dad gets home, we can ask him because your dad's a pastor. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Let's just throw all these his way. And I remember God did something really like, I'm grateful for it, really profound in my heart where I thought to myself, why do I not care about knowing how to answer mm. my four, five, six, seven as a grow up child? Why do I think that that should just be something Aaron does because he's a pastor? Mm-hmm. And so God started me on this journey of really wanting to be a learner, like really wanting to just take what I believe in faith and learn about it. And, and I, I'm saying all this to say that I remember I had a conversation with a mutual friend of ours. I call her my friend. I've really only interviewed her, but I'm going to claim her with Rachel Gilson. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking to myself, we had a conversation um, about her book, uh, Born Again This Way, and um, great, book, great book, by the way, great episode, <laughs> all the things. Everybody go, all the things. And I remember I said to her, one of the things that I think is so important for believers is that we understand why we believe that we believe, mm-hmm. because there will come a day when it will come in question. Yeah. And parenting for 19 years, being a faithful follower of Jesus for all these years, That moment in time where I was like, God, I need to know why I believe what I believe. It has proven to be true that I do need to know what I believe, why I Mm -hmm. believe. Mm -hmm. Um, Faith is amazing, but we live in a culture that wants to know why we believe what we believe. And so all of that to say, I'm I'm just, these conversations about Easter and about Christmas and even about dissecting what did Jesus mean when he said, good shepherd? I didn't know he was a shepherd. I'm trying to encourage the listener that these matter to us as followers of Jesus. They matter because we know him more through it and they matter because it helps increase our witness to the Mm. world. And so Mm. I want to say thank you for writing Mm. all these things. Well, and let it be known that I am continually asked
0: questions, especially by my 10 and 4-year-old kids um, where I don't know the answer. So it's not something that goes away, but I, I agree That the more we're asked questions and we think, you know what, I've never really thought about Mm -hmm. that, if if I'm honest. I've sort of just like let that be a thing in my head without really grappling with it. I think sometimes as Christians we can be nervous, like if I really looked into the resurrection, maybe I become less convinced. I've actually found completely the opposite. When when I really look into something, I become
1: more convinced about Jesus and not less. Mm. And you know, that's good news for people who are in my boat with parenting like older kids who... Erin and I want our kids to get their own faith. We, we, yeah. it, it's impossible. You cannot hang on the coattails of somebody else's faith. And so when you're, you think those questions are hard when they're four, mm-hmm. wait till they're like in their late teen years and they're questioning mm-hmm. everything you've ever talked about. And not always in a bad way, but just like, mm-hmm. wait, yeah. what? I agree with you that it is in those questions that we actually, when we dig through and we dive in and we figure out what is the saying that our faith becomes stronger, mm-hmm. which is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Rebecca, thank you so much for coming on the happy hour. I wasn't even prepared to ask you what you're reading, but I bet you are reading something right now. What are you reading these days?
0: Well, I just um, finished. Uh, well, I was going to tell you about the book I just finished, but i tell you about the book I'm actually reading. I'm, I'm finally reading a book called A Secular Age by okay. a um, Canadian Catholic philosopher um, called Charles Taylor, which... People have been talking about this book. I, like, I've been reading books that are derivative of this book for a long time. And I was like, you know what? I really need to sit down. In fact, I said to Rachel Goss, I was like, do I need to read this book? She was like, yeah, you do. It's, it is a long and heavy read. I think I'm like 550 pages in and there are another couple of hundred pages to go. Okay, yeah. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> but it's re- it, it has been really interesting. Uh, is he's, he's trying to give an account of like, how the context in which people think about faith. Has changed in the last like five hundred years in the yeah. West, and what are the features of that? Um, you know One of the big surprises of the last few decades is actually that rather than the world becoming um, much more secular as uh, as it 's become more modern and more sort of scientific and more educated kind of globally rather than that, that happening that actually we continue to see um, you know, very very vigorous um faith commitment uh, first you know Christians are the, the largest faith group Muslims the second um, And actually, if you look at kind of global trends, then it's um, those who identify as uh, non-religious that that group is actually declining, rather than those who identify as Christians, sort of uh, surprisingly. But but one of the things we have found in the modern world is that fewer and fewer people are are Christians because they've never encountered any other option. You know, we're not um, fewer, fewer and fewer of us are living in a world where you never even question whether the the resurrection happened because, like, literally, everybody you've ever met thinks that it did. Uh You know, Um, we're actually all living in a world where. Um, one way or another, we'll have neighbours who will believe very different things to us, and that just sort of changes how we how we think about faith in ways that can be positive and can be negative, and we sort of need mm-hmm. to to sift through that. So yeah, it's it's been very interesting and educational. Very interesting. Age. Very interesting. I, I should have read, read it probably reading? five years ago.
1: <laughs> what did you just finish oh, I just, reading?
0: I just finished reading a book called Biblical Critical Theory by um, a an old friend of mine from Cambridge days actually called Chris Watkin, um, which is a delightful book. Also also rather
1: substantial, um, but uh-huh. certainly a much easier read than Charles Taylor's. I love it. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for um, the work you're doing. Thank you for coming back on the happy hour and um grateful for all you're doing. You too, Jamie friends i hope today no matter where uh, you are in your life no matter if you are like rebecca said at the beginning of her introduction if you are living your best life now or trudging through a trench of hopelessness what well, my prayer for you and my hope for you is that jesus is appealing to you that the work that jesus did on the cross for you um resonates with you and that you want to live eternity with him and like we talk about at the end of this conversation about her friend grace and um i just hope in this conversation you have been encouraged to look more towards jesus if you have questions if you're listening and you're like i don't even own a bible we want to give you a bible email us jamie at jamieivy.com if you need a bible we want to get a bible into your hands Rebecca ends her book like this. She said Jesus' offer is offensively exclusive. He doesn't say that he's one way to God. He says he is the only way by which humans can be right with God. But Jesus' claim is also utterly inclusive because he says that anyone who trusts in him can have eternal life. As Jesus hung upon the cross, one of the criminals dying next to him made this last desperate plea. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus replied, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. There was no time or opportunity for this condemned man to clean up his life. We don't know what he'd done or how he'd lived. It didn't matter. All that mattered in that moment was that he put his trust in Jesus. And instead of saying, well, we'll see. I'll check your scorecard when I have a moment. Jesus said, you're coming right with me. Friends, that is my prayer for you as you listen to this conversation today. The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivy is a production of Ivy Media Podcasts. Executive produced by Jamie Ivey, produced by Lindsay Sweeney, edited by Angie Elkins, show notes by Nikki Ogden, art by Jen Jet Barrett, original music by Matt Graham, and I'm your host, Jamie. Have a happy hour with a friend.